Hi and welcome to the Racial Introductions podcast. From ancient Greece to branding, globalisation to Homer and logic to fashion, we'll showcase a concise and dynamic insight into a range of diverse topics for wherever your curiosity may lead you. So here is today's very short introduction. Hello, my name is John Balsarek. I'm senior lecturer at the University of Bristol in the UK and I'm author of Calvinism, a very short introduction. Calvinism may seem arcane, but in fact, as recently as 2009, Time magazine chose it as one of 10 ideas that were changing the world. That still may not mean people know a lot about it. For some, the term conjures up unusual images, such as the image of John Calvin, the tyrant of Geneva, who murdered Michael Servetus, the Spanish theologian and medical doctor. There are others who know Calvinism a bit better. It may be that they know Calvinism in its manifestation as the five points of Calvinism, or they may have read something by John Piper, Mark Dever, or one of the other so-called New Calvinists, or they may know Calvinism historically as part of the Protestant Reformation. My book tries to help all of these groups, and for that matter, anyone else who might pick it up. In the book, I set out the character of Calvinist thought, and I offer some critical assessment of it. Calvinism represents a major stream of Christianity, specifically Western Christianity. It agrees with the ecumenical creeds, but differs strongly with Roman Catholicism on a number of issues related to the church and salvation. It began in the 1520s and the 1530s in cities like Zurich, Geneva, Basel, and Strasbourg. The fact that it's called Calvinism is really an accident of history. It could have been called a lot of other things. Calvinism also does go by the name Reformed Theology, although those two don't cover precisely the same material. Converts to Calvinism today will tell you that Calvinism presents a vision of God unlike anything they had seen previously. Of course, God is full of mercy and love and compassion. Calvinism emphasizes this just as much as other forms of Christian theology do. But an important part of the Calvinist vision ascribes to God greatness, which takes the form of power or authority. So the Calvinist God determines, that is to say, wills everything that happens, down to the smallest detail, a leaf falling from a tree all the way up to the most momentous events in human history, the fall of the Roman Empire, for example. The Calvinist God also determines all human actions, whether you help someone up who has fallen or curse your next-door neighbor this morning. It was all determined by God to occur. So here is a vision of God as omnipotent, as sovereign, incredibly active, revealing his greatness, by governing every facet of human history. Now, this vision does raise two related concerns. It raises difficult moral questions. Does God determine the murder of an innocent student walking home from the library? The fact that your parents might have gotten divorced? And Calvinism answers, yes, it does. Calvinism answers soberly and then tries to grapple with the moral difficulties that that conclusion brings with it, and I deal with some of their thinking in my book. It also raises logical protests. How can I be held accountable for my sins since all of them were predetermined by God? 
How does it make any sense to pray to a God who has already predetermined everything that's going to happen? And I address Calvinism's answer to these in my book as well. In addressing them and in the book generally, I try to produce a thoughtful, coherent picture of some of the most fundamental ideas that characterize Calvinism. What does it mean to be a human being? What is sin and why do we sin? What do Calvinists think Jesus Christ intended when he came? What ought to characterize our lives on this earth? What is heaven? What is hell? And who will go to each? On the last of these, I deal with some wonderful thinkers from the late 19th and early 20th century, Benjamin Warfield, Abraham Kuyper, W.G.T. Shedd, and others. Our reflections up to this point have nicely demonstrated that Calvinism prioritizes divine otherness. That is to say, the apparent conflict between a God who predetermines, say, the death of children by starvation each year, and a God who is infinitely loving and compassionate, is not a conflict that troubles the majority of Calvinists. They acknowledge it and its difficulty but they believe that it's a byproduct of the massive gulf that exists between God and humankind. And they say that as long as that gulf exists, there are going to be things that God does that we just simply don't understand. I deal with some of that in my book. I also, in the book, address Calvinism's understanding of work and rest, contribution Calvinists have made to science, to thinking on culture and political thought. I became interested in Calvinism while in university around the age of 20. Someone gave me John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress for Christmas. That book had a profound impact on me, and I went on to read Bunyan's autobiography, which is called Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, read it multiple times, and a friend told me Bunyan was a good example of an English Calvinist, so I bought Calvin's The Institutes of the Christian Religion, and I was hooked. Well, I hope this gives you some idea of what the book contains, and I thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Very Short Instructions podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher to receive new episodes directly to your podcast feed. All of our episodes, new and old, can also be found on SoundCloud and YouTube at OUP Academic.